0: Every Christian that has studied the Bible knows that it's not always easy. It can often feel like an uphill journey full of confusing terrain and tricky obstacles that sometimes make us just want to give up. We may know that Scripture is the Word of God, but sometimes we can feel stuck before we ever get started. My guest today is Jonathan Pennington, and in our conversation he details three helpful approaches to reading the Bible, explaining how they each complement each other. He also highlights the potholes that we so often run into as we engage with scripture and how to avoid them. Jonathan serves as a professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a pastor at Sojourn East Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and is the author of Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture, from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast.
1: Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you.
0: So today we're going to talk about coming to know God through the Bible, how we use God's word to, to get to know him better. And that's the whole point of the Bible in many ways. When it comes to knowing God through the Bible, you like to talk about that as A journey use the metaphor of a journey or a road trip as a helpful tool for kind of understanding what this is all about why do you think that's a helpful way to think about reading the bible
1: yeah that's a good question and it's actually a a very common and old metaphor it's a metaphor of the bible itself right there's lots of discussion of being on the way etc and obviously certainly not unique to me in the christian tradition but you know i think it's it is really important because our lives are experienced as a journey um, we are developmental creatures you know we could have been created in a way that was non-developmental you know we're just used to it we don't think about it. we could have been created like as full humans boom you know i mean like mm. we currently are i guess adam and eve were in some sense but we but you know we're not we are born and we go through stages of a narrative arc if you will from birth to death, and of course, the beginnings at the end look a lot alike each other's the, of our journeys oh. too. You know, and I think the gospel and the whole message of the Bible, Old and New Testament, but I think as clearly as any place in the New Testament, I think the gospel itself is described largely in terms of a journey, in the sense that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. You know, that's that there are actually a lot of metaphors the Bible uses to describe what it means to be. Uh, god's people Um, certainly one that we're very familiar with is the kind of legal metaphor that we go from being guilty to being forgiven and free and that's great Um, it's obviously very important as well but i think probably uh, maybe a bigger one and one that is more comprehensive than that is this idea that we are going from being humans made in god's image to being humans made in god's image with that image being cracked and smeared and broken to being humans, that because of the incarnation and life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit, humans, that the image of God in us is being restored. And so I think that whole idea of the fundamental idea of the Gospels that we're being remade is also a very developmental idea. And so I think it's, you know, it's helpful and it's appropriate to think about the Bible and our encounter with that as you know, part of our development, that we're on a journey as we encounter God, as we grow.
0: Hmm. One of the things that came to mind as, as I was thinking about uh, speaking about reading the Bible as this journey uh, was that it kind of helped to set our expectations maybe differently than we sometimes are primed to to think when it comes to reading the Bible. Well, there's Bible reading is so ingrained in the evangelical Christian landscape. Uh, we all feel like it's important. We all know that it's this it's kind of fundamental thing. Uh, many of us struggle to do it like we say we know we should. But what are some of the maybe helpful calibrating that can happen when we think about Bible reading, our study of God's word as a journey?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of ways we could go with that. And what I think I would want to emphasize mostly is that knowledge, which is what we often think about what we're getting when we study the Bible, and we are, you know, we're getting knowledge about God, knowledge about ourselves. But knowledge is not, should not be thought of in terms of like an acquisition like a purchase or a, um, uh, you know, grabbing something. Knowledge is actually a developmental reality. It's a coming to see in a certain way. Uh, And I'm thinking of here, my good friend, Drew Johnson, who's a professor uh, in New York City, and he and I have worked together on a lot of projects and talked about this a lot. And I've learned a lot of this from him too, that it's really only in the modern period. So for the last 350 years or so in the in Western civilization that we've come to think of knowledge again in this kind of acquisition way that we, there's something we don't know, then we get it. Therefore we have the knowledge as opposed to knowledge more in the wisdom category, which is where we're coming to see things in a certain way and we, and then we return to them and we see them maybe slightly differently. And we see them in a deeper way and we experience them that knowledge, knowledge is really, and this is how the Bible talks too. knowledge is really more like teaching your kid to drive a stick shift, to drive a manual transmission, Mm -hmm. right? I have six kids and I've, you know, I always joke, and I've mostly successfully had six graduates (laughs) of the Jonathan Pennington School of Driving. You know, they've, they've all graduated. They haven't been without their accidents, you know, but they've all done it. you, You think about even just take the stick shift part of it out for a minute, just teaching someone to drive, right? Teaching a 16 or 17 year old to drive. They can read a book about it. They have to pass a test indeed, you know, in my state to, to begin that journey. Uh, they've spent 16 years riding in vehicles and observing. And as I've gotten older, they've observed more. But then to really learn to drive, it's very different than having that sort of acquisition of knowledge of what's a you know right of way and what does a green light mean versus a red light. You really have to get behind the wheel and start doing it and start driving. And especially at first, you need a lot of direction that you really couldn't have gotten until you're in a situation. Uh, You can imagine lots of situations like when you're, if you've taught a kid to drive or remember being taught to drive, you know, you might be in a situation where, okay, there's a car that's waiting to turn left and then this person turns in or whatever it is. Like you can't describe that in a book to somebody or even orally, you have to like be in the situation and then have somebody who's an expert More experience next to you saying okay in this situation you know you have to think about these factors and here's what to do right well it turns out that's actually how most of the knowledge that we acquire is actually acquired it's not mostly acquired in this kind of mathematical gaining kind of situation it's actually acquired through experience and that's the normal way the knowledge comes to us and that's how the Bible talks about both knowledge and wisdom, and even the word knowledge is, is used in that way. So all that to say, man, that's a long-winded answer, but, but the point is the whole idea of a journey, again, is really beneficial to us because that's actually what coming to know God, even at the kind of knowledge level, involves. It's trial and error, and it's um, experience-based.
0: Mm. I also think that metaphor, the picture of learning to drive a car is helpful, too, because beyond just the the facts of the road, knowing yeah what to do uh, in theory at a stop sign, what to do at a yellow light, that kind of a thing, there's also a certain intuition that comes mm-hmm. with that experience where you can... You can know how to respond to situations intuitively, and it it allows you to be much faster, and it's actually probably really important for our safety as we drive, that there is this intuitive response to situations. Mm -hmm. How does that function, or how does that play into our encounter with the Bible?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. It is curious to think about, is that intuition? I mean, it is intuition, but it's really a trained intuition. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's not like it's natural, especially when you're talking about driving. I mean, some things might be natural, but like flinching from a fire or something, you know, that, but I think for driving, it's really, it's a sensibility. Uh, You might say it's a, it's a trained subconscious awareness of what the wisest thing to do in a particular situation is that's really what i think you're describing as intuition is mm. really what happens it's this kind of acquired awareness to make a judgment to make a correct judgment that's actually a great way to describe what happens when you read the bible <laughs> you know when we're reading the bible we are it's not a chemistry problem to be solved it's not a math problem to be you know get the solution to when you're reading a text of scripture there's a lot going on there's your attitude, your posture of heart. There's your previous knowledge. There's your training. Uh, There's your obedience. Uh, You know, that that affects uh, how we read texts, actually, your willingness to obey or not. Uh, There's your, you know, personal experiences you've had with people. Just think about it this way, certain theological positions, if someone's more on the Reformed side, the Lutheran side, or the, you know, Arminian side, or whatever it is, Wesleyan side, You know, why do we believe what we believe and why are we inclined to read verses in a certain way? Because, you you know, each of those denominational traditions still read the same Bible and they will see certain verses differently. Why is it that you see those verses differently? Well, part of it has to do with good skills of exegesis. That's true. But whether we realize it or not, a lot of it has to do with who our parents were (laughs) and who our Mm. person who discipled us was, that they trained us to see the bible in a certain way. And that's okay. It's part of being a limited human. And this is why things like the creeds matter or doctrinal statements, if you, you know, some churches just call it a doctrinal statement, those things are not the bible, but they help shape and guide our sensibilities. They help us say these are the kind of the guardrails, these are the curbs, these are the turn lanes, you know, if you, if you want you uh, know all these things. So I do think that's it's a very close analogy in the sense that We're learning sensibilities from reading scripture, from being discipled, from hearing sermons, from reading books, from suffering, from Mm -hmm. failing. Uh, And all those things train our sensibilities over the the journey of our lives so that we can become better readers of scripture.
0: Mm. So in your new book, you break up this idea of a journey, the journey of, of knowing scripture, knowing God through scripture into three distinct stages. Uh, and I think you're careful to say these aren't as distinct as maybe you're making right. them out to be in these <laughs> chapters. But nevertheless, I wanted to walk through each of them separately. Stage one is what you call informational reading. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, and I and yeah, you know, thanks. I they are distinct. This is the dilemma, isn't it? That in some ways they it's helpful to distinguish them, but in reality, it's often all happening simultaneously. So you know the analogy of the journey breaks down even in that sense. But yeah, informational reading is really just concentrating on a lot of the skills, especially that we've developed, I mean, over the course of uh, human history, but maybe even especially in the last several hundred years, a lot of skills of paying really close attention to how languages work, how Greek and Hebrew work for the Bible, um, how texts, stories are structured. I'm paying attention to how arguments are made like in in a Pauline epistle or how the Psalms, you know, work as poetry. All those kind of skills um, are really things that we can get better at, that we can be taught about and, and that we can um, gain information, you know, because mm-hmm. we really do want to be hearing from God in Scripture. We don't want to just we don't go to the Bible. I don't. I assume you don't either. I don't go to the Bible just thinking, "Well, what can I make it mean today?" You know, or something like, "I'm going to make this. I'm going to look for to justify whatever I want to do in life." Now, some people probably do do that, but I don't think it's the wisest reading of the Bible. So, the informational stage is a is an initial kind of humble, attentive submission to the text of Scripture. It's based on a belief that we need someone, God to reveal himself to us. We don't just need our own foolish wisdom. So we need to hear from the other. We need to hear from the capital O other. And the first stage of doing that is learning to pay attention to what the text is saying, how the text runs, how the words run, and, and how the argument's being made. And so it's, it really is a matter of, of submission. It's a matter of humility before an author, other than ourselves, and especially the ultimate author of God.
0: I think this might be the stage where maybe many of us tend to think. I mean, we kind of live in this stage when it comes, when we're evangelical Christians and we kind of think about what it means to study the Bible. We're looking at, you know, the genre and the, the word order and the word choice. And uh, we're looking at the background of the book and who the author was and the, the history behind some things. Would you say, is that accurate? That that's kind of where these some of these hmm. tools and methods will often live?
1: Yeah. And it's really important these are really good things for confessional Christians who are reading the Bible again, to learn from others, not because there's lots of other ways you can read the Bible. Like you could learn you, I'm sorry, you could read the Bible uh just to learn something about, you know, first century views on women or something or fourth century views on, on what it means to be, um, you know, a Roman centurion or whatever, you know, there's lots of reasons, historical reasons. You could read the new Testament uh, if you're like a, scholar of the history of the Greek language, you could read the Greek New Testament with a particular set of questions of, you know, how was the middle voice used in, the, in first century documents of Hellenized Judaism or whatever. You can ask all kinds of questions of the Bible like that, and that's fine, and that's fair. There's nothing wrong with asking those kind of questions. But for those of us who really want to base our lives on what on what the Bible saying, because we believe it's inspired by God and it's God's direction to us for wisdom. It really is important that we do this work of paying close attention. However, where you're going with your observation, I think is important is that we tend in our tradition probably to stop there or at least to emphasize that as if that is the most important thing or the, the truest reading maybe or something like that. And that's, a big part of what I'm wanting to push back on a little bit or at least explore and invite people onto a journey to consider that that's not
0: all that goes into good reading of the Bible. Hmm. So before we move on to these two other stages where we kind of unpack some of that, I wonder if we could stick with that road trip metaphor a little bit longer here. What are some of the most common potholes that we should be on the lookout for in this stage? Where might we be tempted to go off track or take things too far or uh be myopic when it comes to gleaning this information from the text.
1: Yeah that's a that's a good and important question. I think that it is very easy uh, when we focus on an informational reading to as I was kind of just saying, make that an end in itself that that we feel like we've Done our good Bible reading when we've we've come to it with a lot of rigor and study genre and background, historical backgrounds and whatever. And that stuff's all very interesting and and it can actually be really deceptive because it can be very exciting and you could feel like you're really growing in knowledge. And then if you just end there and don't and it doesn't result in an encounter with God and personal transformation and also the humility of reading with the communion of the saints throughout history and understanding how other people have read these texts and interpreted them, then it can really ironically be the opposite of edifying. It can be the opposite of what the Bible's intent was. You could become very proud. And even if you're not proud, you can just be very content that you've sort of done your duty and you've grown in factual knowledge about the God of the Bible and again, that's not, those are not bad things. Those are good things, but that's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible Mm -hmm. is not that we just gain, acquire a bunch of facts about him. So I think that's the real pothole is just getting stuck. And again, for a lot of people, it's an exciting place to get stuck. Unfortunately, there's a lot of preaching, I think, in our tradition, the evangelical tradition, that is really not preaching it's really more downloading of interesting data with this new high priest of knowledge who's up behind the pulpit who knows all the background information and you know because he he's read some commentaries about something and and so he gives this like zinger of a like here's what this really means and then everybody in the congregation is sitting in awe oh I wish I could read the Bible like that that's like yeah. so amazing. I've never seen a text like that, which you know isn't all bad in a sense. But that's not the point of preaching—is to awe everybody with all your factual knowledge of the backgrounds of the Bible, you know. <laughs> and so I think there's a real potential that that can becomes like a an echo chamber, a, a self loop where that's all it becomes is like this transfer of of information about the Bible, which is again not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to to understand who God is and encounter Him and, and grow in His likeness. So that's probably the biggest danger, I think.
0: Well, and maybe that's going to fit into even the way that you order these stages. So we're talking about stage one, informational. Do, is, is Should we assume something about that, that this is really, in some ways, the lowest level of engagement with the Bible? And that, you know, so by definition, you wouldn't want to stop there. It's not the end of the journey. Yeah, it
1: is lowest. I don't know if I'd want to say lowest, but it is. Yeah, the first. Yeah, in the with the qualification that we gave at the beginning that a lot of times the stuff is happening cyclically, you know. So the metaphor breaks down. But yeah, I mean I I think they're all important. I think what I was trying to do with the journey metaphor is to recognize that you really will not get to the destination well and safely if you try to skip any part of it because they each cover ground that we need on the journey. Right. Hmm. Um, but yes, I I would agree that in light of what we just said, the, the potential of stopping at this point is, is great. And so in that sense, it's kind of foundational and not sufficient necessary, Hmm. but not sufficient is a great philosophical phrase that we use to just kind of refer to ideas. And I think that's true of, of this.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on to stage two, which you call theological reading. So unpack that for us.
1: Yeah. So in this is maybe the least familiar in some ways to the evangelical tradition, in one sense and another sense not. And the point of the, the theological reading is um, very much related to what I said a few minutes ago as well, that why we believe... A text is saying what it's saying or why but i'll say it better this way why we believe a certain interpretation of a text has a lot to do with things beyond those informational skills it does have to do with our theological tradition and that may sound a little weird to some people in our tradition because we're kind of used to emphasizing the bible and not i don't ever say this but a lot of times people in certainly in fundamentalism and some forms of evangelicalism would say the Bible and the Bible alone or no creed, but Jesus or something. The good of that kind of comment is what it's supposed to be indicating. Well, is that the Bible is unique and that it's a unique authority and it's not, you know, we don't make it mean whatever we want it to mean, et cetera. But the problem with that kind of view and in practice is that the reality is not only are all of us reading Conditioned by a theological tradition, we all are. Not only is that inevitable; like all of us have assumptions and prejudices and presuppositions and training and influences on why we think the Bible says what it says. That's inevitable. It's part of being a limited human. But it's also not only inevitable; it's also a good thing to mm. be to read the Bible in a kind of conditioned way. And and to go back to our driving analogy, uh, it's good to have and expert uh, who has driven longer than us and and has maybe to extend the analogy has knows how wheels work and knows how engines work you know it's good it's good to have people guiding us as we learn to do anything and that's what the creeds were in the starting back in the early church it's what doctrinal statements are in any any church would have a doctrinal statement i'm a professor as well as a pastor and it, as a professor i have to sign doctrinal statements and you know somebody might object say well don't you believe in the bible where are you signing a doctoral statement and if you couldn't sign this doctrinal statement you couldn't teach it well yes we believe in the bible as sort of primary and unique in its authority but lots of people can read the bible in lots of different ways very different denominational readings uh, even heretics can read the bible this very same bible and come up with a very different interpretation of a lot of verses. So it was recognized way back, you know, already in the first century of the church, that while the Bible is unique in its revelation, we need help to read it well. And so mm-hmm. called the Regula Fide, the rule of faith, then the creeds are developed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, and all, in the, all the way up to the Reformers, right? All kinds of creeds and statements of faith that we do as well. And so the whole point of this, this second stage of the journey is just to acknowledge that, to think about that and say, that's part of reading the Bible well. The church's tradition uh, helps us be good readers, both in creedal ways, like what are doct- what are Trinitarian doctrines, for example, that help us? What is the nature of Christ who that helps us? And also in the sense of like how have Christians before us read a particular text. So when I'm reading Matthew 18 or Revelation 3, it's really helpful to say, I don't, I'm don't. i not starting from scratch here. How did people 20 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, how did they read this text? Because that's, again, part of humility and part of recognizing my limits as a knower and as an interpreter and that there are people that have gone before us that help us. So mm. the, the whole point of this is let, let's, again, have a heavy dose of humility and recognize that we need help in reading the Bible, and that in no way undermines the authority or uniqueness of the Bible. And in fact, it helps us to be the best kind of readers.
0: How would you respond to somebody who hears all of that and says, but yeah, throughout history, though, Christians, whether today or in the past— uh, constantly disagree though about all of these things there's there are confessions that disagree with each other and so if we are looking to those as guides, we're kind of fundamentally looking to something that's fallible and that's imperfect and clearly isn't really a reliable guide shouldn't shouldn't our goal be to progressively as we spend more time in the Bible uh, clear away all these other external influences so that we can read the Bible purely on its own and let it dictate exactly how we interpret it. how would you respond to that kind of a objection <laughs> that's great
1: it's good it's good yeah your articulation was getting better as it went along I was ready I was ready at the early part <laughs> easy to respond to. but yeah I think there's a good response to that. Again, you know, one way to talk about is what's the alternative? Me as the authority, <laughs> you know, me with my limited knowledge, or me and my local, my local group that uh, has somehow we are have superior knowledge over all the people that have gone before us. I mean, that's you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of semi snarky response, but I think the the more constructive response could be that. Um, Yeah, this is the whole point, is that different theological traditions disagree and different denominations and different creeds. Uh, The creeds are pretty conciliar. That is, I mean, most of the creeds were things that were agreed upon by the universal church from the early days. That's a little different. But even so, yeah, there are disagreements, um, denominations and statements of faith. And that's exactly why it's good to continually emphasize that the Bible is unique in its authority. Um, we're not pitting them as like a couple of options that are equal. You know, you've got creeds or you've got theological statements and the Bible, because if you do that, then you're right. You, do, you are in a dilemma of like, well, when the theology is very different then who wins here. The best way to think about it Christianly, I think, is that the Bible is the norming norm is one of the ways it was described. It's, it's like the unique authority. But again, unique authority and ultimate authority doesn't mean we don't also need helps, right? So it's holding those things in tension to recognize that we are constantly going back to the Bible and we're constantly seeking to read it in humility with all the skills that we can develop. And at points we may realize we disagree with some thing we used to think theologically, and that's okay. And we may decide I'm a, Calvin not a Luth- Calvinist, not a Lutheran, or I'm a Wesleyan, not a Calvinist, or whatever it is. But again, that unique emphasis of the Bible as uniquely authoritative doesn't mean that we're alone and that we should try to do it alone. Because what that means is that we're just left to our own very, very limited uh, understanding. And I mean, if that's mm-hmm. not the height of arrogance, I don't know what is, you know, rejecting 2,000 years of thoughtful Christians who have known God and have pursued Him, yes, their writings, their theological writings are not inerrant, but that doesn't mean they're not very helpful.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's the most helpful bit that you you highlighted there in response to that, just that in maybe an unintentional way, that kind of a perspective is a pretty arrogant one that is pretty blind to the real potential for our own blind spots, for our own Uh, assumptions about the Bible, about God, about what it means to be a a follower of God, that we just think that those couldn't ever be a factor. And and that's obviously—you say it out loud, and it sounds pretty ridiculous. Right,
1: right. Like, I've got it. Our local congregation and wherever has got the correct interpretation of the Bible, whatever, you know. And, you know, it's related to all these things. Throughout this book, Come and See, I have all these little side trips, which are— most fun for me really and they all relate really to this issue of how do we know things i mean that's really what it comes down to the Mm -hmm. big fancy philosophical term for it is epistemology but you don't have to care about that term if you don't want but it's a it's a great question like how is it that we come to know and believe what we believe and that's a lot more complicated than we might at first think and that's the point it requires a lot of humility and it requires a recognition that, again, we are all recipients of training and recipients of traditions, sometimes good, sometimes bad, right? Some There are a lot of things we have to come to reject later and get over. That's okay. But to be human is to be limited. And that's like fundamental. And I'm not even talking about sin. You know, sin also affects our ability to interpret the Bible well. But even just as human creatures, we are limited. We can't know everything. We can't experience everything. We, we only have our perspective on things uh, that is very different than others. And so this big question of how we know things really relates to this idea that the idea that you and I could just open the Bible and just from my limited perspective, be guaranteed to get this like perfect reading is it, it really just shows a kind of lack of self-awareness of of what it really means to be human <laughs> to be human is to be very limited and and broken and again you add in sin as well like what in theology we call the noetic effects of sin the the fact that sin not only affects like our moral choices it actually clouds our minds often and so you add that in that's why we need help of other people you know we need the community of the saints throughout history to help us read the Bible well and we, the last thing I'd want is to be stuck with my own limited knowledge of the Bible.
0: Mm. All right, last stage that you highlight is transformational reading. So how would you summarize that? How does that fit into what we've already talked about?
1: Yeah, so this, in maybe traditional modern way of talking, we might call this application, But, and I do talk about application of the Bible in there, but it's very intentionally not separated in the presentation I'm giving into the this kind of icing on the cake kind of thing, uh, like application. It's the final stage of the journey. It's the one that is necessary to get to the journey. And so using that analogy, we have to ask, okay, again, what actually is the point of the Bible? I mean, it really comes down to that. What, what is the reason that God has inscripturated, put into writing the revelation of himself? What's the point? Is it so that we can know things about him? We can make apologetic arguments? Is it so we can be really have fun reading literarily across the canon? Those are all great things. The point very clearly is that we might know him. I mean, this is the point. God wants to be in a relationship with us. He is in the process of restoring the broken relationship and scripture is the main means, it's not the only means, but it's the main means in which, by which we grow into our relationship with God. And as we see him, we become transformed. And again, with that, what I talked about earlier, that really the message of the New Testament is that Christ is the perfect representation of God. He is the image of God that Adam lost, and even beyond Adam, because he's, you know, enters into glory. And that to be a Christian is to be one that by the power of the spirit is being conformed into that image and, and being transformed over the course of our lives. And when we finally see him fully, we will become fully known and become fully like him. Not, not in a divine way in the sense of the, you know, we will always be creatures. We're not the creator, but to be the, the end goal of the Bible is that we might actually become different people that we Mm. and that the perfect image of God in us restored uh, through the power and work of the triune God. And so once you get that, once you start thinking in terms of those ways, which is how the Bible talks, that really helps us see that the point of the Bible again is, is very clearly applicational if you want, or transformational is the word I use. That's not an add on. That is the whole point.
0: What I also appreciate about what you just described is that it also broadens out application to more than just like, how do how does this verse impact my life tomorrow? What am I gonna do differently tomorrow, because of this verse? I think this view of transformation is so much broader and and deeper than simply creating a checklist for us to do in terms of our walk with God the next day. Can you speak to that a little bit and how sometimes maybe it seems like we can we almost shrink application down to dos instead of transformation.
1: Mm. There, you know, there's an art there because we are called to become different in how we show up, you know, and that includes habits like forming habits and forming sensibilities. But I think the best way I might respond to what you've said there is to just to think about what I do as a preacher and a teacher at my church. I view everything as an invitation from God. And this is what I try to do when I preach, yeah. invite people to... Have their sensibilities and their habits and their hearts and their attitudes and their relationships be transformed into a different way of seeing and being in the world and it, 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 a different way of inhabiting the world. So that that's the language we use at our church a lot is that Jesus is inviting us to inhabit the world in a different way. And that may involve taking a particular verse and, you know, doing what it says or not doing what it says. It's a good thing. But it's, some, it's deeper than that. It's training our sensibilities. And this is why the Gospels, which is my area of kind of academic work, are so important because I think they especially kind of shock us and help us see by Jesus interacting with people and like making statements and valuing things and not, and unvaluing other things. Th- those really shape our hearts and our attitudes. They're, they're not just saying, you know, don't drink or chew or run with girls who do or, you know, that are just giving us like a list of, do don't go to movies or do go to movies or whatever. It's something more profound. It's something at a deeper level of learning to see the world in the same way that Jesus does.
0: Maybe as a final question, Jonathan, uh, as you were finishing your final edits to this new book, uh, something happened to your family that really changed your, your family life dramatically and still can, to this day, has really changed your life. I wonder if you could share a little bit about what happened.
1: Yeah, sure, thanks. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, right, during the final edits of this book that had been a long writing project, you know, with stops and starts, and it was kind of down to the end, we discovered completely out of the blue uh, that my wife had a very large and invasive uh, non-cancerous, we eventually find out, found out, but a, a very large and invasive brain tumor that was causing her troubles that we did not realize, but then the surgery itself ended up the the removal of the tumor caused some significant brain damage as i mean it had there was no no, nothing was done wrong it was just that Mm. it was a very ingrown tumor and so the removal of it which had to happen basically left her completely paralyzed on the right Mm, side so we went from totally normal very busy lives with six young adult children and all that we do you know both work full-time and do lots of things on a Wednesday to uh, within six days, uh, she was woke up in hospital bed with no ability on her right side. So that was quite a shock. You know, long story short, she's regained a lot of that, but not all of it. And we don't know what the future holds, but she is able to have more mobility now with a lot of help, like brace and things. But it's been a obviously a very difficult and dark season and at the same time, there a lot of sweetness, you know, a lot of love from our church and people all over the world. And I was able to just be home with her basically for the last, the first six months of that. And that was really a good time for us mm-hmm. as well to just go down and, and uh, pay attention to things. And so as we always say, we, you know, I think God is doing a thousand good things in every situation. And I, and I don't say that tritely at all. That's not a kind of, um, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. you know, heartless rubber stamp on yeah. everything. It's yeah. all good. You know, there's been a lot of dark, a lot of darkness, a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, um, but a lot of good. And, and that's how life is. You know, it's a really a, a mixture of pain and joy. And so I would say this season has only deepened my experience of what I'm suggesting here and the best way to read the Bible and seeing our lives as a journey of development And the reality is that the only way we really grow is through suffering. I mean, that's just, it's the sad truth. It's, and it really taps into the dark, the deepest paradox, I believe, of the Bible's message that joy comes through pain, that um, restoration only comes through loss, and that ultimately life only comes through death. And that is what Jesus himself models that there is a there's something greater on the other side of death that could not be apart from the death unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it will not produce fruit as jesus himself says so i think this has been another season of our lives where there's been a very acute um, and welcome and painful embracing of that reality
0: well, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to walk us through these three stages of our journey with Scripture, stages that all of us can pursue right now in our own lives as we open our Bibles. Um, we just appreciate you taking the time.
1: This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much.
0: That was Jonathan Pennington on Reading, Understanding, and Applying the Bible. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off or get the ebook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more audio content like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a review.